I am Ben Doc Askins, the psychedelic science war storyteller, and this is the Anti-Hero's Journey Podcast. Hey everybody, Doc here. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want it to be possible for me to continue to make it, then I'm going to need you to go to my store at antiheroesjourney.com and buy my audiobook and my ebook in one of the many translations available, or go to shop and pick out some of my stuff t shirts and hats and pet bandanas and bikinis and scented candles and all sorts of nonsense, all the things you could ever want and never need. And get 10% off with the code, all caps, FRIEND10. Go to antiheroesjourney.com and use the code, all caps, FRIEND10 to get 10% off anything that you could ever want there. I appreciate your support. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. What's up, all you anti-heroes journeyers out there? This is Doc Askins coming at you with one more of these Q5 podcasts where I ask five of my favorite questions to some people on planet earth that I think are cool. The person I got on planet earth that I think is cool coming on the pod today is Shannon Duncan, the author of Coming Full Circle, Healing Trauma Using Psychedelics. It's a book that I read, well, that he read to me earlier this year via Audible audiobooks, uh, and that I enjoyed so thoroughly, I decided I'd write a review on my platform over at Brains Magazine. So if you go to my website, antiheroesjourney.com and click articles, you can read the review I did of Shannon's book. I talk about part one a bit in the review, and then I talk a bit about part two, but I say nothing about part three. And there's a reason for that. Part three is my favorite part of the book. And when a part of a book speaks for itself, I say nothing about it. So in the review, I said nothing. And you should go ahead and uh, especially chapter 42 was my favorite chapter of Shannon's book. So read the whole doggone thing, at least until chapter 42. Shannon, it's a pleasure having you on the podcast today, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me here. I've been looking forward to uh, to getting to meet you. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it too, ever since you know you read me your bedtime story there from coming full <laughs> circle. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to do something that I haven't done before here too, because I think you might be able to handle getting question zero. I got questions one through five on this Q5 podcast, and I've been sure, waiting sure. For somebody to throw question zero at. Everybody's afraid of curveballs, but you seem like the kind of guy that could knock a curveball out of the park. <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> I'm the kind of guy that doesn't give a fuck and throws a curveball at somebody that can't hit it anyway. So here we go with question <laughs> zero. What is the last significant lie that you told and why? Oh, man, that's a great question. What is the last significant lie I told and why? Well, I'm not going to say that I never lie. You know, sometimes it's just way more convenient. <laughs> just um, as a practice, I, I you know, I, I generally try to be pretty upfront and as authentic as I can. And uh, sometimes I end up oversharing in the process. But uh, as you know, as you read my book, the last significant lie I told and why. Yeah, I want you to tell the truth about that lie, Shannon. Yeah, yeah, I totally will if I can think of... You know, a little while back, I was uh, briefly dating a woman and she was, um, hopefully she doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, 
you know, she got way more serious about things than I did. And I wanted to let her down gently. And so I wasn't as forthright about my reasons for not wanting to engage in something more serious. That's, that's the one that, you know, I just, I was trying to spare her feelings and I was trying to spare myself a lot of drama. <laughs> and so, you know, I did the, I did the whole, it's not you, it's me thing. It's not you, it's <laughs> me. <laughs> a classic um, lie. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what pops into my head. It's just being caught completely off guard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, right on. Well, I appreciate you fielding it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I don't know if you knocked it out of the park. I'll give you a double on that one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I can't think of anything really significant I've lied about. Yeah. Yeah. Unless, unless I was lying to myself and I just haven't come to terms with it yet. There's probably some good ones that's, like that out there, but I'll, if it comes to me later, I'll uh, bring it up. <laughs> that's the thing about lies. They're so slippery, right? Like, am They're I lying really to myself slippery. about being honest? Oh God, what does that mean? Anyway, yeah, right. so we got the curveball out of the way. Let's, let's hit the ground running on uh, the actual Q5 podcast here. What's your okay. story, brother? Well, you know, as um, as you read in the book, I've had a an interesting journey in my first almost fifty three years. For the the purposes of the book, you know, I had not had an ideal childhood, <laughs> as as many haven't, it, and it uh, spilled over into outright neglect and abuse at times. And I suffered for this for a very long time, and it wasn't. Even you know, traditional therapy helped me a lot, but it could only go so deep for me. And more casual psychedelic use really helped me out a lot, but it would only go so deep. And it's when I encountered this process of holding psychedelics in a truly medicinal way. And, you know, that terminology gets way overused and way misapplied nowadays. And we can talk about that if you want. But for me, when I experienced psychedelics in a new way, in a way that was held in a way that really opened this inner door and let it go deep into the places that usually my psyche doesn't let anything anywhere near, that I started seeing what the real potential of psychedelics was. So the book is the book and my story is about my process of over four years of doing very regular, almost monthly, professionally guided psychedelic experiences, really big phenomenal across a wide range of different kinds of psychedelics that brought me to a point of feeling like I have, you know, 98% left my past behind. You know, there's, there's always scars left when you're, when you're wounded in that way, but my life doesn't pivot around those wounds like it did before. So that's, uh, that's, that's, kind of my story is as far as, you know, promoting this book goes. <laughs> well, I mean, that's massive, right? 98% feeling like your memories are all in place and don't, they don't own you. You own them at this point, right? This kind of what it's, you're saying. Um, yeah. I, I could be lying to myself, but that's how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the trick. Um, so far as I know, it's about 98%. At least yeah. it's feeling that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's outstanding. You mentioned being willing to expand on the term psychedelic and the way that that gets used. Would you mm -hmm. like to expand on that? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's different ways to use psychedelics and what most people are familiar with is in a recreational context, maybe you're hanging out with friends, maybe you're 
at a at a uh, fish concert. <laughs> One of my earliest experiences was at <laughs> Grateful Dead concerts. I, I was never even a big Grateful Dead fan. I, I enjoyed it okay, but I liked the yeah, scene and either. taking acid more. So <laughs> it was, okay, yeah. it was a good time, right? I remember um, seeing fish uh, like jump on a trampoline and play a vacuum cleaner like it was a musical instrument in concert one time. And I was like, oh, yeah, these guys are pretty cool. Like I was straight sober the whole time. So that was entertaining. Like, oh, yeah, the, de- the dead are amazing. I guess if you're high, I don't really know. But the yeah. vacuum cleaner on the trampoline stuck out in my memory for sure. <laughs> that's yeah, that's going to stand out in your memory. <laughs> then then outside of recreational, which recreational, you can have powerful insights. You can have these moments of, oh, my God, I'm seeing my or something about my life in a different way. And so that can make powerful shifts and changes all by itself. Just these moments of clarity that can come from psychedelic use. It's one of the, you know, outside of just the trippy adventure that you go on, the, the insights are kind of the cool thing, right? Back before I knew anything about using psychedelics medicinally, if I was going to be by myself or I was going to go out with a friend, I would always check in and say, I wonder what I'm going to bring back with this from this experience, right? It was, it was, it was geared towards growth. It was geared towards learning more about me. And then there's more the expansive spiritual use. And that's, that's most of what gets called healing. I'm with my hands in some like air quote show. <laughs> that's most of what get called, gets called healing nowadays is, you know, people open these churches and they hold these, these opportunities for people to come and have an experience of the psychedelic space. And, you know, sometimes people in those things will cry or they'll, they'll purge or, you know, they'll have these cathartic releases and that's powerful. And that's, that's, that's an amazing experience, but it mostly stays cognitive. It's this big expansive cognitive experience again with deep insights, you taking an intention into it that you want it to help you to grow. And, and those are very powerful experiences too. And then there's a there's another way, and this is something that I learned later on. This is something that I learned uh, with my first guided five meo DMT experience. And there's this I've used this terminology in other podcasts, but there's this locked door, and it's something that your your psyche stands guard over, and behind that door are your insecurities and your pains, what Jung would have referred to as your shadows, you know, the things that get locked away so you don't have to directly confront them in everyday life. And usually there's quite a bit of fear associated with going through that door. I know there sure was for me over and over and over again, and there still can be sometimes. But this is where the real deep healing comes from. When you have a powerful insight and you see your life from a different perspective, Maybe you bring that back and it you you can implement change over time. But a lot of times you kind of settle back where you started, maybe a few degrees off off center of that. And so, you know, it's a slow progress over time. But when you go in and you directly confront the shadow material, you directly engage it, you allow these deep emotional wounds to authentically express, that's where this deep authentic, enduring healing comes from. There's a, there's a lightness that comes from it. There's this sense of being more integrated and whole that comes from it. When the, when the, the, the thought of healing is mostly cognitive, you don't often get that sense of integration. You don't often get that sense of actually having evolved, actually having changed. But when you can go through that door and do deep, authentic medicine work, the, the changes, the shifts and changes are profound. They're not usually instant. I mean, you can have an instant release, that feeling of catharsis, but more often than not, you go through your integration period after your 
after your uh, psychedelic experience. And then months down the road, you realize, whoa, I, I feel substantially different from that experience. That's really the three primary levels that I engage with, that I, that I understand for working with psychedelics. I, I believe that there's, there's another for deep spiritual work that is beyond. It's kind of, it's kind of both the expansive, it's, it's getting bigger, but going deep, but that's not one that I've explored as much so far. Yeah. Give me those three. What were the three things? And then the fourth one's this spiritual consciousness raising sort of thing. Yeah. So there's recreational use where it's usually meant to be fun. And so your psyche is keeping you from going deep. And usually if the psychedelics accidentally let something out from deep, that's what people call a bad trip. It's just emotions that are a little too strong. It's a little too scary. They're not in a place where they can really manage it. That's, you thought that's my you were going on a wooden roller coaster and it turned out to be one of those metal ones with the loop-de-loops in it. Got it. Okay. Like that. Yeah. And then and then there's what I labeled expansive. I was just looking for words that would okay. be descriptive. And that's where you're intentionally looking to grow and expand, but you know, not, not necessarily looking to lock horns with your own shadows. And then there's uh, medicine work, which is where you're actually taking the psychedelic and you're allowing the the, the psychedelic to move into your emotional body as well as your intellect, as well as on a And that's where you level. were, you were talking about shadow work at kind of level three. And then, yeah, that's, that's where you're, that's where you're going deep and where stuff gets very real, very fast. I mean, the emotions that come up can want to take over the terror, the shame, the whatever it is. And it's, it's a lot and it's, but it's, it's the most powerful healing modality I've ever encountered. And as far as trying to heal emotionally, to heal a wounded psyche, that's where the real work happens. And it doesn't tend to usually happen like in group work or in churches, you know, psychedelic churches that pop up. That's, that's more expansive work. Not to say somebody can't heal that way, but it's this, it's this direct confrontation of the self that works best if you've got somebody sitting with you, a guide sitting with you that is qualified to do so and they've done their own work so their stuff isn't getting tangled up with your stuff as can happen. That's where I personally have done the bulk of my growing is in that medicine workspace. And that's why I wrote Coming Full Circle because so few people seem to know that that third option exists very often we try very hard to deny the fact that there's scary places to go into. We don't want to think about it. And I just wanted, I wanted people that are investigating this option to heal, to have the opportunity to understand there is more that can be had and to understand what it looks like. So you can make that choice. Okay. If that's something yeah. you want to pursue. I remember hearing someone talk about, I think it was, I think it was Paul Stamets had a stutter and then he did a heroic dose of, I think it was psilocybin mushrooms, five grams or seven grams or something like that. And uh, the stutter went away and he had this uh, intense experience, but it was it was this hero's dose protocol thing where you're wearing a mask and not hearing any sounds and all by yourself. Is that kind of what you're talking about with shadow work or is it something altogether no. different? Heroic doses, it's a, it's a term that, like many terms in psychedelics, are, are kind of getting abused and people are playing telephone game with it on social media, so it just gets turned into something else. It's really gotten turned into, I'm going to take a lot of psychedelics, I'm going to white knuckle my way through the experience, and then I'm going to come out and tell everybody I did a heroic dose. 
<laughs> it's, it's like it's like selfie tourism through the you know psychedelic landscape or something like ah look at this sunset kind of uh, like that we- yeah you know big doses can open that door in a powerful way i can't say what paul stamets experience was or wasn't it sounds like something very powerful happened something very powerful released for him you know if that you know if that story is true and that this is what happened i don't have any reason to doubt it but heroic dose, I mean, there's like places in South America and Central America that are offering heroic dose retreats and things like that. And so, you know, if you'll be able to do deep work in those environments, I kind of doubt it. You got to feel really, really safe. Your psyche has to feel really, really safe before it'll let you into those very vulnerable places, even on psychedelics. And I've done a lot of incredible deep work, not on heroic doses. I mean, I've gone, I've been on doses as high as eight grams of mushrooms. That's as big as I've gone, but I wasn't, you know, it wasn't chest thumping. I wasn't even thinking of the term heroic dose. It's just what felt called for that day was getting in a little bigger, getting my brain offline and out of the, you know, my mind offline and out of the way so that things can happen. But I've also worked on three grams of mushrooms many, many times. It's a powerful experience. So it's really not dose dependent. It's um, deep, authentic, intention dependent. You think the set and the setting are the primary movers rather than the dose amount itself in that regard? It's all combined together and it all, it all, it's all a manifestation of your authentic intention. Cause you know, you can say, I want to go deep, but deep inside, you might be saying, hell no, I'm not going deep. <laughs> you know, we, we convince ourselves of things all the time, but if, if, if the, the pull to grow and the pull to heal is coming from those wounded aspects of the psyche, then you can trust that intention. And, you know, when, when, when I can connect to that and that's, what's manifesting, then I know what medicines I want to work with and at what dosages. And then the setting is always just where I can feel the most safe, where I can feel the most safe to let my guard down the most that I can. And so that, that really manifests in the setting that I'm in, which if I was in a group, it would be very difficult, if not impossible and who I'm working with. And I have a medicine guide that is just amazing. You know, she's, she's a licensed therapist. She's highly, highly trained in working with trauma, but just as important as that, if not more important, because I don't think somebody needs to be a licensed therapist. Most licensed therapists have no business working with psychedelics, <laughs> with other people with psychedelics that I've ever met. But she's done her own deep work. So she's gone as deep and deeper as where I'm trying to go so she can hold that space open authentically. That is what allows the deep work that I do to be possible. If it's okay with you, I'm going to chuck the other four questions because, you know, I read your book. You read my book. We kind of (laughs) know... Like, if you want to know us, go read our books or whatever. We're yeah. going to have a fun conversation with or without you, anti-heroes, <laughs> you know, because I'm enjoying this and, you know, like, let's not retread stuff. What do you say? Yeah, I'm, I'm down. Yeah, whatever. Talk to me more about shadow work. Like, what's your perspective on what that is for people who've never heard of what that is before? And then what's going on there? Why is that important? Well, I am certainly not an expert on shadow work. I know it just from learning it for myself and how it was applicable to me. And so I discuss it in Coming Full Circle uh, in a chapter, which a chapter is not long enough to discuss Jungian shadow work. But, you know, the idea is, is that aspects of the psyche, aspects of our personality that are deemed to be dangerous to the self or in some way shameful or in some way unacceptable, get locked away in the unconscious 
or largely in the unconscious. And so one of the examples I use in the book is that we're, we're hardwired to be tribal creatures. We're hardwired to fit within our tribe as a matter of survival. And so if our, our social network reflects that things about us are wrong, they can get locked away. If our, our primary caregivers, our family, our peers uh, reflect back things to us that make us feel shameful or not safe, they can get locked away. A lot of people, the, there are aspects like of their sexuality, of an authentic expression of their sexuality that early on they learn that they're shameful. And so it gets really locked away in the shadow. And so the shadow realm is, is, is the unconscious. It's, you know, for me, you know, I grew up around intensely angry people and watching their faces when they're raging. I, I really took in that anger is something that's wrong. Anger is wrong, right? And and so for me, it got locked away as a shadow. So for me, I would be passive until I exploded. So shadows don't go away. Shadows are puppet masters. They live in the background. And so anger for me would either come out as rage or it would come out very passive aggressively. And that's something I had to learn about myself. But when I could own that, when I owned the truth of that, when I'm not lying to myself about that, anger became more of just a natural functioning of my psyche. And so I had this range where anger wasn't like a punishing thing. It was, it's what helped define my own personal boundaries. And so, you know, it's, it's uh, anger doesn't have to be intense. Anger can be very subtle and it's just, it's a, it's a natural part of being a human being when any aspect of it and when any aspect of your normal human functioning, your normal emotional functioning gets labeled as shameful or that having it is going to put you in danger within your tribe. That's, that's what gets locked away. And that's where things start getting a little weird and a little wonky, you know, especially around sexuality. And so recognizing your shadow material, recognizing what you're ashamed of, what you're insecure about, what, what, some part of your mind thinks can't be, and then bringing those back into the whole of you makes you a more authentic and whole person. The less you have aspects of your, just normal aspects of yourself hidden away from yourself, hidden away from other people, the less authentic you get to be, the less whole you get to be. I have found as I've done this shadow work, especially with psychedelics, that my sense of my being has gotten dramatically lighter. It's just, I feel more whole. I feel more lit up from within. Not perfectly. You know, I've got good days and bad like everybody. It's not like I've transcended anything. I've just, I think I've come to a place much closer that I would have been had I been raised in a household that could treat a young person well, you know, help them feel good about themselves. And so that for me is what shadow work is. It's 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 way more intricate than that. It goes way deeper than that. But in, you know, just in broad strokes, that's the idea. Yeah, that's super helpful. Strategic navigators reduced my income tax bill by over fifty percent. These guys save entrepreneurs anywhere from forty to sixty percent on their income taxes. Click the link in the description to schedule a call and see what these guys can do for you. If you enjoy paying as much as possible in taxes, then just ignore everything I just said. Everything you had to say there about tribes and anger and shame was interesting to me. I spent some time a few lifetimes ago back in my 20s living with some tribal folks in East Africa and the, you know, the 
cultural differences there were super interesting because anger was kind of the unforgivable sin in that people group. Like if you were publicly angry, you could get ostracized and shunned and nobody wanted anything to do with you. Meanwhile, lying was kind of completely accepted, especially to outsiders. Like if I, uh, as not a member of the tribe showed up and said, Hey, I thought the church was to the North and I point up there and I said, yeah, it's up that way. And because of the way that I asked, they wouldn't want me to feel ashamed for pointing in the wrong direction and saying it's up that way. They would tell me, oh, yeah, it's definitely right up that way, even though it's the exact opposite direction and it's to the south because they want to save face for me and not embarrass me as an outsider. It's not lying like to like trick outsiders and screw those guys. It's lying to like be hospitable to silly Americans who would ask questions in stupid ways, pretending that we know where something is when we don't actually, instead of just being (laughs) humble and saying, Hey, where's the church? And then they would have told me the truth. I had to like insert a little, I know where it is, but I also don't know where I is. And that, that would get me into trouble. Right. So you couldn't be angry out loud, but you could lie about all sorts of things to be hospitable. And that was just like such a different worldview from my own that I had to learn a whole lot about. And that would mean having like a whole different shadow, right? Like the people in that tribe, the shadow would look a lot different than the people in my tribe here in America. Yeah, there's cultures where it's perfectly acceptable for heterosexual men to walk around holding hands. Yeah, Uh, yeah. I held hands with those guys all the time. We'd walk around holding hands all over the place. It was totally normal. Yeah, yeah. yeah, It's human human interaction, right? But in our American society, that's usually met with a a fair amount of shaming or people would feel ashamed. Yeah, I I still wouldn't do that around here with my best friend, right? But like over there, yeah, 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 it just feels weird. So that's that's that in a way is is maybe not purely a shadow, but it's pointing in the direction of it, right? It's like, here's social conditioning, but sometimes that social conditioning really causes the self to be like broken pieces got to be broken off and shoved away because we can't have that. I think a lot of people who, especially in this, in our society, people who are homosexual have had to shadow aspects of themselves and people who fully shadowed those sexual aspects of themselves and, and, stayed in denial for of it for, for themselves would have that build up and pressure and come out in unfortunate ways or or in damaging ways yeah shadow work is fascinating i've actually uh, i've actually thought about a um a future book that delves into exploring shadows with psychedelics but i want to partner with somebody who's truly an expert truly you know like a practitioner that's been working with shadow work for a very long time so that we can get a really thorough, you know, not me saying what sounds good to me <laughs> explanation of it <laughs> right, as I'm right, doing right. this exploration yeah. in myself and, uh, you yeah, know, using myself kind of as, the, as the, the guinea pig again, just talking about my process of discovery and what that looks like. And then maybe having that countered with somebody who deeply understands shadow work from a, from a clinician perspective to help, you know, make it all really more, uh, more concrete and understandable. Um, I think it'd be a really uh, interesting book. I'd love to read that book. I am far from a shadow expert or, you know, like I've just, I read a lot of books. That's my thing. Like I, I read a lot of books and, but like being an actual practitioner, there's a big difference between reading Carl Jung and understanding Carl Jung, right. And reading about shadow work and doing your own shadow work and then actually holding space for someone that is doing their shadow work. These are all very, very different things, right? Very different. I have my own way that I 
engage that occasionally with patients carefully, but it's kind of eclectic. And maybe I'll, here, I'll get your opinion on it anyway. A couple of non-experts will just throw this out there because it's only a podcast. <laughs> yeah. There's no professional advice being given. No doctor-patient relationship has been formed primarily because I'm not a doctor, but also because you're not my patient just by listening to this silly podcast. But anyway, I had some training, again, five or six lifetimes ago uh, in the military on what they call human intelligence collection, where, you know, like they call it lie spotting or lie detecting or some of that sort of stuff where you're trying to read body language, right? Trying to figure out. And there's no actual way to tell from looking at somebody, you know, micro expressions on their face or their posture or whatever, whether somebody's lying or not. But there's ways of gauging comfort levels. You ask somebody a question like, tell me about the last significant lie that you told, and then you watch real closely to see how comfortable or uncomfortable they are during their entire answer. And the more comfortable they become, the more likely it may be that they're not lying or that they've gotten really comfortable with the particular lie that they're telling at this point, right? It's not an exact science by any stretch of the imagination, but... Uh, you know, there's a whole lot of art that goes into it. But one of the things that they taught us was that the feet are the most honest part of a person's body during questioning because you're least conscious of what you're doing with them while you're thinking about a lie to tell or even just trying to remember an honest narrative to explain to somebody if somebody's sitting in a chair and they take their feet and slide it away from you that shows a certain level of discomfort whereas leaning back and showing the bottom of your foot to somebody shows a certain level of comfort bouncing your leg is comfortable or uncomfortable hyper or not hyper took your Adderall today or didn't take your Adderall today right like you don't know whether they're lying or not but you can gauge a certain amount of whether they're being comfortable or uncomfortable while they're talking based on what they're doing with their feet and there's no real easy way to talk about shadow work in terms of embodiment, right? Like that's the nature of the unconscious is you don't have easy access to it. Uh, you can't like do somatic experiencing therapy for shadow work because you don't have a shadow in your soma in some biologically anatomical way to access it. But I think maybe the place that your shadow literally connects to your body is either going to be your feet if you're standing up or your you know bottom if you're sitting down or your back if you're laying all the way down that's where your shadow connects to you and i wonder about like experiencing paying attention to the parts of your body that you don't normally pay attention to what does it actually feel like to stand on this particular object or to sit on that particular object or, you know, walking in the grass is different than walking on the carpet is different than walking on broken glass, et cetera, that there may be a way to gain access to the shadow through an embodied perspective that accesses the places where your physical shadow touches your physical body. But I don't know. What do you think about all that nonsense? From a <laughs> it's an interesting perspective. I've never thought of it in that way. A lot of times, at least my my own experience and how I how I came to understand it was you know emotional wounding and the emotional wounding and shadow shadows are very often the same thing or they're very often um, in tangent to each other 
you know, because you've got the emotional wounds and then you've got the the psychological defenses that you you build to protect those wounds from being triggered, uh, whether that's anger or dissociation or however it is you get away from having those areas stimulated. And I've always found those to be in the body. I think somatic body experiencing just by itself has a difficult time getting to areas of shadow or areas of even emotional wounding because the perceived threat and going there is really great, right? Our psyche keeps us out of there. And that's, that's kind of what the psychedelics are there for is to help pull us out of our normal state of mind so we can have access to things that we don't normally have access to. But for me, it always shows up in the body, like in the abdominal region, down around the hips, in the back, in the shoulders, there's muscular armoring that happens. And really all, all of that is meant to step on the sensation of emotion that would come up if it, if it were triggered. I noticed you said step on. Yeah. <laughs> and you described, uh, you know, parts of you that are on the backside and the bottom side to some extent. Yeah. So yeah. at least that much we're in, we're in sync at least as far as that goes. <laughs> absolute amateur theory about how shadow work might be embodied. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. Any, any other thoughts about shadows or shadow work? You know, it's, 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 it's challenging work and doing emotional healing with in a competent psychedelic guided session brings a lot of shadow work healing all on its own. Just a lot of these things, you know, cause you get a sense of shame about something and it's, it is hidden away and you give expression to that shame and all of a sudden not so much of it is hidden away anymore and access to it again is, is easier to get to the next time, you know, as you're, as you're going ever deeper. So, you know, psychedelic emotional healing work, especially trauma work, isn't, isn't directly shadow work, but they, they parallel each other so much that both seem to happen a lot. And it's pretty obvious when it starts to happen, if you're being very mindful of yourself and you're just, you just, you, you unbury one thing and all of a sudden here's this realization of, oh my God, I see how this is working now and why I, why I would behave in that way. You know, you get these insights and understandings as you're doing the emotional releases, and that's why I included some stuff about the shadow in um, in coming full circle was 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 very specifically because it's such an important part of becoming more authentic and whole, which is which is which is healing. You, know, you you take these fragmented off parts and you bring them into the whole of you, and as you're more whole, you're more and more healed. Absolutely. Thoughts on the collective consciousness concept and the idea of collective shadow beyond the, you know, inner work that you've already talked at length about? You know, I, if you would have asked me four years ago, I would have shit all over that idea. <laughs> I was just like, anything, <laughs> anything woo woo, I would just been like, I would have had some rationalized understanding about it. But I got sure, to tell you, sure. man, the more I've gone deep into the psychedelic healing work, the more my mind is really open to the idea that there are energies moving beyond what my monkey brain is going to directly understand. There's just, there's just so much more to what it is to be this human animal that 
I think many, if not most, rarely ever get a chance to recognize or see. And I, there's, there's, I'm stammering around because a part of me is still embarrassed a little bit. But yeah, I think there's something to the idea of, of collective unconscious, of generational memory, of uh, generational energy. You know, I, I'm pretty, I, I feel pretty certain that a big part of my own deep healing has been a generational healing, just stuff that's gotten passed down genetically and passed down energetically from person to person, you know, there's, there's, there's what your parents say, but then there's also how your parents are and that gets imprinted on you. That's held in the body generationally. And I've been untangling a bunch of that with this work. I was just talking about this on the George Monty podcast, but I'm actually going <laughs> George, you know, hey, shout George. out to George. <laughs> <laughs> I like George. I'm going uh, to my first group psychedelic experience in a very, very long time. I've only really only ever done one other. And I'm actually going to Peru to do this seven day, five ceremony experience with ayahuasca with this place that is highly, highly regarded. Yeah. A good, my good friend Diego, who is uh, getting ready to put out a book on his own on, he's a, he's a Navy SEAL or ex Navy SEAL. And he talks about leadership and he's talked about how psychedelics really helped him come forward. And his book's coming out soon. I think it's going to be really good. Nice. Um, but he yep. takes veterans. What, do down. you know the name of it? Where can we get it? Like hook Diego up here. Where, uh, um, where do I buy his book? It's not out yet, but it's going to be out soon. And okay. I forget what the, what the working title was for <laughs> Put it. Put you on um, the spot here. Yeah. 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 I got an early release to, to peek through and I haven't gotten to read it in detail, but I was, uh, I was really digging a lot of the parts that I was, you know, he's just talking about how to kind of clear your own deck so you can be present to be a better leader for others. And it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice approach and I think it's going to do well. The Jocko of psychedelics. <laughs> Actual on front. Uh, um, but the, or the reason like I that. bring him up is he <laughs> was telling me about this place that he takes this, this company that he takes veterans down to, to have ayahuasca experiences and how profound it was. And I was really reluctant to go travel and do an ayahuasca experience unless I had a, a referral that I trusted and I really trust his judgment on this. And so I signed up and I want to do. Five, <laughs> <so> <laughs> yeah. 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 You're going to see the of, uh, ayahuasca. Times, huh? Cool. <laughs> well, I'm there, but I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm both excited and terrified and it's going to be an interesting experience for sure. But it, that's me moving into, instead of being so myopically trauma focused, I'm starting to look, to psychedelics to see, well, what's my place in the universe? What's my, you know, what are my beliefs around higher powers and and spirituality? Because a lot of that is all kind of tangled up and, and that's, it's a mess in there. And so I'm just, I'm just looking to, you know, I have a sense of a connection to all that is, whatever that is. You know, I have a, I have that I have that powerful connection that I made in five meo DMT, but I, I I feel like there's more, and so I'm looking to open and expand, but not expand from the head, expand from the body, expand from my connection to life. So I was strongly compelled to pursue this ayahuasca thing. So that's what I'm going to go do. That's exciting. Well, exciting and terrifying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll have to have you back after you do that and hear. You know, oh, yeah, maybe my, not my... immediately afterward, but after you've done a certain amount of integration and have some uh, something to bring back to the rest of us, I'd love to hear yeah, about that. Put on some kind of filter so my aura doesn't blind you on our uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Be like Moses in the Old Testament coming down with the law from God. I can't even look at his face. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nice. Well, uh, we've run way past the time that I promised that we would talk for, and that's just because it's been such a good time. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd want to share with our audience? And we'll get you back on God willing and the creek don't rise at some point. Yeah. I'd love to come back and talk again. You know, my whole purpose in writing coming full circle and my whole purpose in bothering to promote and do podcasts like this and, 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 I hope to go do some public speaking as well, is that if somebody's looking to heal from psychedelics, if things have gotten to a point where they're willing to bravely step up and try this kind of healing, I just really wanted them to understand what it actually looks like because there's a lot of bullshit information about it out there. There's just a lot of cheerleading for the magic bullet that is psychedelics and it just doesn't work that way. And I, so I wanted them to see, and I shared my own process and a lot of really personal information because I wanted to make it human and real so they could compare that to their own lives. And I just, I just want, if somebody is brave enough to step up and, and approach healing in this way that they can be met with a path forward that's actually effective. And a lot of what's being pushed out as psychedelic treatment right now isn't. A lot of what's being offered is being offered by people that have never actually done deep work themselves, so they can't speak to it with any authenticity. And so that's that's really all I was trying to get across in coming full circle is, is helping people get real help for themselves. And hopefully I, I met with some success with that, so... Well, I, I think it came through to me loud and clear. And that's, you know, part of why I wrote the review, part of why I invited you on the podcast. So I think you succeeded at least with one person. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I imagine you could <laughs> succeed with practically anyone though. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today, my friend. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Talk out. <laughs>